0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God which we hear this morning is from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the, the flock back to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. So far, the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. When we're out hiking, my wife likes to stop to see every bird that she can find. That's why I usually get done hiking a lot quicker than she does. Some people do actually stop and take a look at all those historic plaques that you see along the highway. I know one kid who his goal in life, his ambition, was to visit every Red Lobster in North America. I guess he really, really liked Red Lobster. We all have different reasons for stopping, different things that we're interested in, different things that might cause us to pull off the road to take a look. Moses stops, steps aside, takes even a diversion, goes out of his way to see something more miraculous than a bird or a historic plaque. He stops to see a bush that's on fire and yet not being burnt, not being consumed. That sounds like a sight worth stopping to see, but what he finds is something even more incredible, isn't it? Something even more wondrous. Not just a bush that is burning, but a symbol, a symbol, prefiguring of the Christ who is to come. It's kind of like one of those historic plaques, except in reverse. It's not uh, telling Moses what has happened, but it's looking forward to what will happen. And a little more exciting than just a plaque with words on it, too, isn't it? He finds, Moses finds here a picture of the incarnation. A picture of Jesus' birth when God Became man. Our God is a consuming fire, and yet through Jesus Christ, we are not consumed by Him. Luke 2 reminds us that there were shepherds out in the field watching their flocks when suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The children are working on memorizing that story. They're going to share it with us on Christmas Eve. They're going to practice it today, I'm sure. What do we find here in Exodus chapter 3? A shepherd, out, watching his flock, when all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. There is a slight difference there. There is a difference between an angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord. It's an important distinction in scripture. When scripture tells us the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses, we know that that is the pre-incarnate son of God. It is the second person of the Trinity who would become, he's not Jesus yet because he hasn't been born as a man, but it's that same person who would become man who is here talking to Moses. Whereas the shepherds see an angel, one of the many messengers that Jesus sometimes sends to people. So a slight difference, but very similar, isn't it? And again, in in John chapter 1, we're told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came down among men to deliver his message to us. And here we have God coming down, appearing to Moses in order to deliver his message. There are a lot more similarities than at first you might think. Yet the most important of them all, by far, the most important symbol we have in this lesson is the burning bush itself. A bush and a fire. These are two things that generally don't coexist very well, right? The bush has a tendency to get burnt up, or if the bush won't burn, the fire has a tendency not to last very long. My in-laws have a fireplace with logs in it that don't burn, but we know that those are fake logs made out of a, a material that's that can't be burnt, right? Here we have a real bush made out of living wood and yet it's not being burnt up. How is such a thing possible? It's a miracle from God, right? But it's also a reminder of looking forward to the person of Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, we once again have two things that shouldn't be possible to bring together and yet God has done a miracle. He's brought them together. We have true God true man, one person. We just uh, confessed that in the Nicene Creed we just spoke of, how very God of very God, yet born of the Virgin Mary. Colossians 2.9 reminds us, for in him dwells all the fullness, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. How is that possible? How can you take all the eternity of God and put it into a human and not have the human burn, burn up, not have the body destroyed. Such a thing shouldn't be possible, and yet here it is. Jesus, the one who is true God and true man. Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. The fullness of the deity in the person, Jesus Christ, so that he is true God and true man. Not half and half, not sometimes God, not sometimes man, not God pretending to be man or appearing as a man, but true God and true man. Moses turned aside from his flocks, from his sheep, to see something incredible, a bush on fire that did not burn. We have the chance this morning to come together, just to turn aside from our daily lives, to see and rejoice in something even better, even more incredible, Jesus who is true God and true man. The bush is burning, but is not consumed. This prefigures, looks forward to the person of Jesus Christ, but it also reminds us of of another important teaching of Scripture, another thing that is true in Jesus' birth, the fact that we are the bush, God is the fire, and yet we are not consumed. Hebrews 12, 29 reminds us, For our God is a consuming fire. And Deuteronomy 4, 24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. The word jealous there refers to God's jealousy of sin, his consuming of sin. A fire is a jealous thing, isn't it? When When you see a forest fire go through an area... It consumes, destroys everything in its path. It doesn't stop to say, oh, you're a cute little puppy, I won't burn you up. It consumes all, it is jealous for all that it can consume. God is jealous against sin. He's going to consume it, destroy it all. The prophet Naaman, chapter 1, verse 6, reminds us, who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire. The bush is on fire. The fire of the Lord's anger rages against sin, and yet the bush is not consumed. Despite that jealousy of God, we are not consumed because of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus reminds us in John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Try standing before a forest fire and coming out of it alive. That's what Naaman reminds us it's like to stand before God. And yet we do come out alive because of Jesus. Jesus. We see that in our, in our gospel reading, don't we? We see him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Where is the consuming fire that is our God? It's not there. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem to consume it. He rode into Jerusalem to die, to save it. Moses saw a, a burning fire. We've seen something even better the fire of God against sin which does not consume us despite our sin because of the person of Jesus Christ. God calls to Moses from the bush. He says, remove your sandals for the place is holy ground, right? You can imagine Moses' sandals would have been pretty filthy covered with the du- not only the dust of the road but probably even sheep dung from following the sheep and shepherding them all day in general shoes are shoes or sandals whatever you're wearing are the dirtiest part of your clothing even if you're careful to keep your dress nice and clean or your suit nice and clean you can't really walk around outside without getting your your shoes dirty can you the shoes are the dirtiest part and so they are removed in ancient custom they are removed before coming into the presence of god as a reminder that the, our sin, the filth of our sin, needs to be stripped away. That filth cannot come into the presence of God. Jesus washed his disciples' feet on Monday, Thursday, the night before he died. And remember, he said to Peter, if, if, you do, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Washing away that, that filth. In India, they still have this custom to this day. You go into a church, you remove, you take off your sandals. I had to do that a lot, and then I had to stand and teach or preach for four, five, six hours. It's pretty hard on the feet. But it's a good reminder of this truth that that filth, that sin cannot come into the presence of God. We, have, we don't have that custom here, but we have other customs to remind us of the same thing, don't we? The, the black robe I'm wearing is a reminder of man's sin before God. Some pastors wear a white robe to, re, to remind us of God's holiness. Uh, either way, it's the same thing. Some of you come early and sit down and spend time before the service meditating and thinking, "I'm in the presence of, of the Holy God." We kind of reserve this area here, right? This is the, the altar area. It's not a place where you play games or throw football around. This is in the presence of the Holy God. We don't remove our sandals or our shoes, but we have other customs to remind us of the same thing. And those customs are good and useful as long as they work to remind us, as long as we remember what they're reminding us of. If we forget the reason for them, they kind of become useless. But the point is that filth needs to be removed before coming into the presence of God. And yet on that first Christmas morning, it was the opposite that happened, right? The shepherds were not told to remove their sandals before going to the manger, but rather it was Christ who removed his sandals, and not his sandals only, but all the glory, all the clothing, so to speak, the trappings of his Godhead, of his deity, in order to come down among us. He didn't give it up. He was still God. He still had the full power and authority as God, but he he set it aside, he hid it, he hid it within the humanity so that it was not seen. Philippians 2.7 tells us that he took the form of a servant. That is, he appeared as a lowly man. He covered the glory of God in the rags of humanity. So that we are no longer required to, to strip the sin from ourselves, which we cannot do, but God instead clothed himself in our humanity to come among us in order to save us from our sin. That's something, again, we see in that same gospel reading, isn't it? Jesus riding into Jerusalem on that donkey. Where is the glory? Where is the power? Where is the authority of the king, of of God-made flesh? It's not there. In fact, that's the problem the Pharisees have. That's the the very reason why so many Jews rejected Jesus, because they looked at him and they said, how can you claim to be God? You're just a man just like us. Where is that glory? We want to see the glory. But But Jesus set aside that. He set aside his power, his authority. He came as one of us so that he might redeem us. He rode into Jerusalem not to consume it, but to die for it. And for us. Moses had to take off his sandal in order to enter into the presence of God, but Jesus took off so to speak, his deity in order to save us from our sins. Moses had to take off his sandal why? Because God says it's holy ground, this is holy ground that you're walking on, but why? Why was it holy ground? Not because uh, there was something special about the ground, was it? but merely because God was there. His presence sanctified that spot, sanctified that ground, and made it holy. If God's presence in that burning bush could make that ground holy, how much more, Jesus, coming as a man, does that not sanctify humanity and make us holy and redeem us from our sin? Again, not because there's anything special about us, but because Jesus chose to become one of us. Titus 2.14 He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. So then we are that holy ground sanctified by, by Jesus becoming one of us, by God becoming one of us. We are that holy ground, that special people if God continues to live and abide among us. As we read in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. In Exodus 19, God warned his people, If you will obey my voice, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. The Lord sanctifies us and and makes us his own when he comes and lives in our hearts not because we are such good people but by his grace he chooses to become one of us and even to live among us this is indeed a, a wonderful incredible sight to see isn't it something amazing a thing worth well worth turning aside to see and that's that's why you're here today that's why you're gonna come to church on christmas eve It's why you're gonna come continue to come to church to hear and see this wondrous thing a fire that can burn but not consume, a God who can destroy sin but not consume us, a person, a man who contains the full deity of God, God and man in flesh, a God who walks among us and sanctifies us by His truth and by His power, a people made holy because He has chosen to dwell among us. Moses turned aside to see a burning bush we have something far better, far more amazing. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.